Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson, and as always, I am joined by Mr. Casey Clapp. Hello, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi, Casey. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I I will admit something up top. Please? I feel a little bit thrown mm. today. Oh. Uh, I am on a new microphone. Oh, that's right. Okay. And any any uh, time we change a part of our setup, yeah, it takes me a bit to get used to. Mm, yeah, it does. That's in terms right. of how it how it how it uh, sounds. Yeah. And you know, just like the, the little intricacies you it's don't think little, about when you get a new piece of gear. Yeah, it's a little things. Uh, how so, you move your neck? When yes. You're talking in front of it. I'm now on a boom a, a, a boom stand on yeah. my uh, desk here, so just I can. So good. I mean, it's like it's it's got uh, spring action on it. There's like uh, there's one, two, three, four, four different joints in that one joint. Yes, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm I've I've uh, moved one step closer to being Howard Stern. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Where's where's you like uh, dark tinted? sunglasses like <laughs> a little bit down your nose that's we, what's next we need to hire a woman named robin to be mm. our our sort of uh yeah. uh commentary yeah you know? what is it what does robin do i've never actually listened to the show i think she's just like a like a sidekick type oh, person yeah i'm yeah. honestly not sure she might be really integral to the show but are There's, they are they married or something? I have no idea. Okay, I assume that, that I've heard a lot of shows that have like a side person where it's like uh, this is the host, but then every now and then they like look over and then some other random person like is also on mic and they're like, right. yeah, I, I just looked it up. It is true. Like they just kind of like a, a fact checker, right? Like, yeah, or like a producer, like like yeah. the Andy to the to their Conan. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Ed McMahon to their the yes, other guy. Exactly. I can uh, remember that guy's name. <laughs> uh, Carson? Uh, Johnny, it, uh, Carson? Johnny Carson, of course. Yeah, okay. I'm going to get fucking crucified for that. Hey, that's okay. No, no you won't because no one, uh, very few people who listen to our podcast, and God bless you, uh, know who those people are. <laughs> so you're fine. Fair enough, Case. Casey Clapp. Alex, before we go too far. Oh, my God. I know. I, I, I can sense when you're about to make a transition to another <laughs> another part of the show. I have to call back uh, to last show. Okay. Uh, I have one, two things I specifically want to do. Oh, my goodness. The first is we made reference to uh, you putting your hand in, um, in, in a thing and, leaving, Sand, and leaving a trace. Yes. Uh, so that's actually called a trace fossil. Uh, I just want to say this because uh. I want to make sure to make that distinction. Okay. Um, famously in uh, White Sands National Monument down in New Mexico. Famous. Uh, there has been found recently these footprints, human footprints. Wow. In, uh, I, at that point, I guess it's just um, 
I, well, there's gypsum is what is the, the sand is made of, okay. like the sand dunes, essentially. And uh, I don't know if it's hardened gypsum or if it's something else, but essentially um, there's evidence because of seeds and like things they found in these footprints that they dated 20,000 years old that says these footprints that they found are made by a human 20 or 23,000 years ago. Wow. Those are fossils, but those are trace fossils, which basically saying, yeah, there has been something here. We have the trace evidence of the existence of this person. Got it. And just as a quick aside, uh-huh. there's a scene that they've actually found of footprints where there are humans that were stalking and then attacked a great, uh, a, a giant sloth. What? And they can like, they can see the footprints and like, oh, here's where it turned. Here's where they shuffled. It's crazy. And they can like David Fincher it and like <laughs> see where everything happened. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. incredible. So that I, I wanted to make that distinction. I want to visit that. I, I We did. Hannah and I, we did. We really? went down did there. Did you see it? No, because it's actually in a part that is co-managed by the military. Oh. So you have to like get a special permit to go over there because wow. the military is like doing stuff. Because there's also like um, White Sands um, like missile test area or something like see, that. See, I would join the army just for that. Yeah, that's a good reason, right? I'm surprised you didn't. <laughs> I should have. It was. It's one of the most fascinating things. It throws everything that everyone has thought about about when humans first got over here yeah. back by like literally ten thousand years. That's incredible. It's crazy Did, stuff. Was this a recent discovery? Yeah, I think so. In the like last couple of years. Yeah, you can Amazing. look it up. Uh, it's it's absolutely out of this world, mind boggling. Well, thank you for the correction, Casey. You're welcome for the. I'll call it a. Not a correction, but a uh, addendum, maybe. Yeah, it's an addendum. It's a it's a uh, clarification. Yes, I have a second thing. Casey is taking off his headphones. He's standing up. Oh, I love when Casey goes into his bag to surprise me with something. Casey has lifted a box. He has given. Oh my god, Casey! I know what this is. Alex, what is it? This is a hunk of petrified wood. That. Is, in fact... I'm pissed at you for not bringing this last week. That's why I needed to bring it this week. That is, according to my knowledge, we bought this down in Arizona when we were traveling through. Um, If you're in one of the national parks, if you're in Uh one of the national preserves, uh, the um, uh, national monuments, you may not take any of the petrified wood. Naturally. However, outside of those areas where there's private places, people are pulling it up and selling it. So you can buy this on Etsy right now. I Googled it just to see. Uh, we got it from just like a roadside thing. That is Arakari Zylon Arizonicum. Are you kidding? Yeah, you're holding it in your hand right now. Casey. Yeah. Now I'm really mad at you for not bringing this last week. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Alex. I don't want to make a bad thing out of a good thing. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, wow. yeah. We, uh, this is rainbow wood, huh? It is. That, that's, uh, that is rainbow wood. This is not the rainbow is, wood style, obviously. Yeah. It's mostly black. I was going to say, it's it's pretty solid brown. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, I, can, I can, yeah. Right, it and, and I look like this. A big, you, know, you, know the, you know in, um, have you seen the movie, uh, the children's movie, Matilda? Uh, yeah, but it's been a long time. With Danny DeVito? Yeah. And that little girl. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's a scene where a boy is forced to eat chocolate cake. Oh, I think and I know he, that. He's got this big hunks of chocolate cake in his hands. Mm-hmm. This looks like a big hunk of chocolate. It does, cake. yeah, because it's kind of like squared <laughs> off a little bit and yes. things. Yeah. Ow. But I'm assuming if I tried to eat it, I would break all my teeth. Yes, you would. It's very, very intensely heavy. This is incredible, Casey. Isn't Thank it you amazing? for bringing this yes. and showing me. You're welcome. Not only that, Alex, that's yours to keep. Are you for real? Yeah, we bought we bought a couple, so we have one for for us, and we have one for you, Casey. There you go. There you go. Uh, Thanks, early, buddy. Early uh, early birthday present for you. Oh my gosh, this this is incredible. I, I was sitting here holding this, thinking 
God, I want one. <laughs> and then moments later, my wish was fulfilled by my good friend Casey. Now that's what I'm talking about, Thanks, Alex. Bud. Yeah, you're welcome. Wow. Yeah, absolutely welcome. You know, if you any anybody any of you want to want to get your hands on petrified wood, just Google petrified wood. I put in black Arcaria's Island, Arizonicum, and uh, like a bunch of options popped up from fossil sellers and Etsy and these mm. kinds of things. So again, don't take it from these special places where people are visiting and looking and doing science. Yeah. Uh, if some private person wants to take it out of their own land, give it away. And sounds good. Go for it. So I, that's uh, that's uh, what I'm specifically endorsing. Thank you, Casey. I really appreciate this. this yeah, is a, this is a very fun gift. Of course. I wish uh, I had something for you. Well, I've got a I've got yeah, a few things for you, but please. that happens later in the show. Yeah, we'll let that happen later. And, and you're not going to be that excited about it. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna display this with pride somewhere. Yes, but please be careful. It is quite heavy. It is extraordinarily heavy. That's the thing. Like it's so dense. Like it's, I don't know what makes it so specifically so heavy. Like petrified wood compared to something else. Yeah. I don't get it. This this hunk of wood, which is I would say roughly the same volume as like a cantaloupe. Yeah, yeah, probably probably weighs like 15 mm-hmm. pounds. I'd say so. Something in there. Wow, it's crazy. Well, thanks, Casey. That's that's very exciting. I can't believe it. I can hardly believe it, <laughs> but I do believe it. You should, you should believe it, but I also brought another piece just to show off, but I'm what keeping this because this? this was a gift from uh, my old roommate, Julie. She also got this on Etsy, which is why I know you can buy this thing on Etsy. Uh-huh. This is a slab of petrified wood. Of what sort? I haven't a clue, Wow! but it's really beautiful, and I'll show it off to you because you can see the outside where it looks like a tree that was growing. It's like a slab cut uh-huh. off co- cross-section-wise, and it looks like you can see the outside where there's like roots that were kind of splaying out, kind of buttressing, yeah. and you can see the pith in the middle and everything and all the colors. I'll show you this because it looks like rainbow wood yeah i would say the form of this one is like um a slice of pie if the if the point yeah. of the pie is the is the center of the wood yeah that's exactly what it looks like yeah wow it's gorgeous yeah and uh, my old roommate julie uh who's just one of my favorite people we visited her down in uh new orleans this last spring um she put us up and showed us around the town during mardi gras um i got that randomly sent to me uh years ago and i was like who sent this to me? I had wow. no idea. I just got this package. It was petrified wood way before uh, any podcasting. So it's like someone had to have specifically known me and where I lived yeah. to send this to me. Uh. And and so she did. And then she's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. I sent you this. And I was like, that was like months ago. I had no idea. <laughs> That's very startling. Yeah, yeah. But that uh, those are examples of petrified wood. I was sitting at my table today and I was like, I can't believe I forgot to bring these. <laughs> Literally, Hannah gave, us, uh, gave me the idea uh. to do this tree as uh as a dead tree on the show right like gave me the idea and was like based on this piece and i would present it to you and i completely ruined the whole thing so the podcast casey's part of it at least regrets the air i think this is actually great casey because this is like this reminds me of like an episode of tv where like there's there's kind of like a cliffhanger at the end of the previous episode uh and then that story is wrapped up in the first five minutes of the next episode i see it's kind of a fun like little tie over to the Uh, next story yeah okay gotcha and that's what's happened today so i think you you did brilliantly casey and this was all on purpose and you're a great podcaster uh this was i honestly it's a plan that i've been brewing for years (laughs) that's that's weird (laughs) (laughs) thank you casey you are welcome now i'm sorry where were you well i was where i say we're going to talk about a tree this week <laughs> that's right this is this one's a long time coming we we have uh we we have gotten a lot of requests for this one i feel like it's yeah. a well-loved tree oh my gosh is it yeah well we'll talk about that this is one long-leafed pine oh it sure is alex pinus 
Palustris. Yes, Alex. Where does palustris come from? Palustris uh, means like of water, like it grows in bottomland areas. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I don't know. It does. It does. Yes, uh, generally speaking, but not really in the. Well, remember when we talked about sweet gum? And I said that uh, sweet gum grows in kind of bottomland areas. Yeah. Not necessarily with its water or with its feet in water, but in areas that if it flooded, you kind of wouldn't be that surprised. Okay. Like if there's any amount of raising of any water nearby, it's going to flood kind of thing. Like a valley, like the Willamette Valley. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that is where Pinus palustris grows in kind of these bottomland areas that would Got be prone it. to flooding, uh, lots of little puddles kind of in between, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and that is, uh, that's what it, where where the sweet gum would be growing, uh, my one comment was like, yeah, you can't grow other species of tree there. It would be the Pinus palustris, the okay. pine. So they would be neighbors. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. potentially. All right. Mm, I mean, doing? neighbors in the way that we are neighbors with, like, Washingtonians. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. All right. Where every now and then they're amongst us, and we don't know, or... <laughs> they look just like us. They talk just like us. But are they really us? Find out next week on Completely Arbitrary. It sounds like I'm like doing an anti-immigration thing. I'm not. Oh, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, that's a little scary. <laughs> Good stuff, <laughs> I'm not Alex. doing that. We're talking about trees here. That's right, Casey. Let's imagine that you and I, like every episode, we are walking one of these bottomland areas. Maybe we see a sweet gum yep. in, the, in the far distance. And we come across some Pinus longus, some longleaf pine. <laughs> yeah. Let's ID this tree. I'll say right off the bat. Please. What a cone. Oh, my gosh. Can we start with the cone? Is yeah. that is that bucking traditions too No, much? I think we can start with the cone hot. Oh, my God. Casey, for a second time, Casey goes into his bag and brings out Alex. a very large jar. Here you go. This is about three times as big as I imagined. That's what she said. This thing is huge. <laughs> this thing is really big, Casey. This is the cone of the longleaf pine. They should call this the long cone pine because this thing is at least nine inches, eight inches. It is. It's huge. It's at least eight inches and usually can get up to 12. I don't think you can pull it out. Boy, it smells good. Yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. I'm sorry. Usually I would say, yeah, pull it out. Um, But this is a giant pickle jar. And in order to get the cone in, I had to duck it underwater so it closed up. Oh. Then I stuck it in and then I dried it out again so it opened up inside very of the jar. Very clever, Casey. Thank you very much. Wow, that's that's the kind of experience you ha- get when you're a, a long-time cone jarrer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that is, uh, this is uh, one of my favorite cones. I've been trying to get this for years. Damn. When I was in North Carolina studying dendrology, this tree was brought up and it was nowhere to be found except for like this one place kind of off off the side of the campus somewhere near a highway or a big road. Mm. And there was one tree there and when, to identify it, the easiest way to take it, uh, to compare it to the other species of pine that are in the area that look really similar is to find the cone because the cone's so big. It's ah. biggest of all the cones on the East Coast. It's the biggest of all the cones. If anything, would be grown in the South for sure. Really? Yeah. It's not bigger than the sweet, uh, the sweet, uh, sugar pine. No, it's not. No, no. Sweet pine. Yeah. The only from the East. Once you get over to the Cascades and the Sierra Nevada, the cones will blow it out of the water. Cause that's when you get the Coulter pine and the gray pine, the sugar pine, uh, and those cones are just way bigger. Jeffrey pine, for example. Okay. They're, they're usually, or they can at least get this big. Most of the time, they're uh, at least by weight, five, six times as heavy. Wow. And the sugar pine, it's probably can be twice as big as this in terms of length. 
Well, let's ID this cone, Casey. It's pretty characteristic. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's it's like a classic. It's so classic that it, when when you uh, when you think to yourself and you close your eyes and you're like, what does what does the pine cone look like? Yeah. Of course, the first thing that's going to pop in your head is ponderosa pine. That's a given. However. For this, it's everything else is the same. Like if you uh, see like a someone draws a pine cone, uh-huh. this is it. This yeah. is like it's long, maybe about eight inches, maybe about four or five inches wide. The top of it, the top scales kind of go up, and then the middle scales kind of go out, and the bottom scales reflex downward. So it kind of is also an array where it kind of looks like it's as you go from top to bottom, it slowly goes. It kind of goes out and around like a clock face. It's very fountain-like. Exactly. That's a perfect description, yeah. Also, something I noticed about it is that it's very easy to see the axis. Uh-huh, yeah. You um, can look right in and see it. Yeah, this reminds me of like the, uh, what are the two types of Christmas trees? Like noble fir and grand fir, I think? Uh, yeah, they, there's other kinds, but right, there's two the, of them, yeah. The big two, maybe? Or sure. Two of the big two. Uh-huh. Uh, noble fir, you can you can look in and see the oh, the main the main stem. Yeah. And it's like very like mm-hmm. rigid. I think you know? you're thinking Douglas fir for the other one. Oh, okay. But yeah, the other the other one is is very full. Yes, yeah. Um Douglas fir. Oh, I think as a kid we got grand fir. Yeah, grand fir grand fir would be more similar to uh the Douglas fir. Douglas fir is like number 1 in popularity. Okay. Noble fir number 2, grand fir in a mixture of others are kind of uh, you know, there as well. Okay, but this this reminds me of a noble fir where you can look in and see that middle stem. Yeah, you really can. It's all very the scales are all very segmented. When you, I, I think when I think of a pine cone, I think of it mo- a little more compact, almost like the Italian stone pine. I oh yeah, like you can't quite see into it. Yeah, yeah, it's a little yeah. too blocked. Yeah, this is really wide open. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Really well, cool. and they're just such gorgeous, gorgeous cones. Like they're they're big, they're long, and they stand out. Like you, if you are riding your bike down a path, or you're walking down, and you see one, you're almost not going to confuse it with any other cone. Yeah, the two trees that also grow there that look super similar are the uh, slash pine, uh, which is Pinus eliadii, and then the Pinus tata, which is the loblolly pine. Ah. Now, the thing that puts them together is that they are all three pine trees. They have this nice, big central stem, usually very few branches coming down. All of them have needles and fascicles and bundles of three. Three needle pines. Exactly. Okay. Three needle pine, um, which makes this really closely related to other three needle pines, like the ponderosa, like the Jeffrey pine. They grow in dry areas and they have this uh this big open canopy which at the very end of these kind of long uh very cylindrical big thick looking branches and twigs are these huge poofs of needles at the end ah yes and this is what really really sets it apart this is what produces poems like headed down south to the land of the pine Mm. i'm thumbing my way to north carolina staring up the road and pray to god i see headlights (laughs) <laughs> this is the pine they're that talking was about. Cummings, right? Uh, that was that was that was Jacob Cummings, <laughs> the the eminent artist of 1883. Uh, no, that was a uh, Darius Rucker wagon wheel. I've never referred to E.E. E. Cummings by just his last name, yeah, and it made I, me a yeah. little 
uncomfortable to <laughs> yeah, do so. It's reasonable. I, I think it's fair. Uh, I now this says song by Darius Rucker. I'm pretty sure that it was actually the uh, Old Crow Medicine Show That's that right. usually yeah. did the song. Yeah, Darius, you sneak. I think maybe his version became more popular, and it was one of those things. Oh um, yeah, I gotcha. Well, either way, the song "Wagon Wheel," which of course is you know the one that as soon as it starts playing, everyone is like, "Yeah, it's uh, it's a song like the pine tree mm. is." like an Americana of trees. Yeah. And when you first think about it, you you and I were from the West. We would think of not even pine trees. We think of like the Douglas fir and like firs in the mountains. Yeah. If you're in California, if you're in the east of our mountains, if you're anywhere in the United States except essentially the Pacific Northwest, and you say the land of the pines, you're probably thinking of either the Ponderosa pine or the longleaf and uh, slash pine and the pines of the south. Interesting. This is the most ubiquitous pine from Texas to North Carolina. Wow. At least historically. But we'll talk about that. Oh my gosh, what a tease. But before we do, we, yeah. should, we should finish telling people how to identify this tree, let's, right? Let's, can we, should we move on to the titular long leaves? I think we should. Okay. So as we noted, it does come in these fascicles of three. And the the needles, though, they come out in, uh, they're like a dark green. They are very long. I think like up to 12 or 13 inches long. And that's wow. like, that's huge. Really, really long Damn. needles. Damn. They are uh, persistent um, throughout the year, but I think they last for about two or three years, and then they drop away. So you see these big poofs kind of on the tree. You mm-hmm. don't you don't ever see like really thick branches covered in leaves all the way back. Okay, it's only the most recent three ish years. Is this one of those trees where the 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 branches kind of look like they have chicken skin? Yes, and then a big poof at the end. Yeah, that's totally it. That's okay. ex- that's exactly it. Now they grow out there, and at the very um, at the very end of the branch. They come out very much kind of diagonally away from the branch. And then as they move down, they kind of splay themselves out. So it's mm. kind of like, um, you know, like a feather duster? Mm-hmm. Uh, or a, rather, it's not even a feather duster. It's more just like a, a duster that is not made out of feathers. It's like it, it's a fake one kind of thing. A Swiffer? Yeah, a Swiffer thing where it has like that big ball on the front that's all facing forward. Then it kind of goes, kind of oh, falls yeah, down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like pom-pom, but the pom-pom that extends down the that's, pom-pom. That's right. It's like that. So they have um, these really long needles that are poofed way at the end of these branches, and it makes the tree very open. Like you can you can look through the whole tree and like kind of see this crown um, in every way. But it's not like a dense crown that you can't see all the way through to the other side. You can very much see through it. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a nice dark green, um, but they're just very very. Piney. I mean, there's only really one way to to describe them, which is just good old fashioned pine. Well, what's left? Should we talk about the bark? Yeah, the bark is great. So, um, as you are, uh, as you would probably guess, um, being a fire resistant tree, mm. it develops really thick bark. But the cool thing about it is that the bark that develops is not quite the same as our fire resistant trees, where they develop kind of these puzzle piece like bits. Yeah. Their bark instead gets these big plated furrows where it looks like it has these, this armor that's kind of long but irregularly kind of rectangular. And they are put all on the top. And to me, it kind of looks like they're layered almost like shingles down the side of a tree or yeah, down the side I, of a house or something. I imagine dragon scales. Yes, I, I, it's totally. A, a common uh, thing for me. <laughs> hey, hey, which is, I mean, it's common in trees. So I think you're, you're, you're spot on. Mm. So they're, but they're really kind of this, this, 
burnt orange red kind of color. Yeah. And in between where they're really old, where those cracks are, where those furrows are between these big plates, they're very gray. So you kind of have this gray to to reddish orangish to gray and then big thick like shadows in between. Like they're really robust. Like as you're walking through, you're you're kind of like, "Man, this is this is a tree that's that's ready for something. What is it so prepared for? Like it looks like it's wearing armor waiting for something to happen." Yeah, it's definitely got like plate scale armor. Yeah, on exactly. It. Um, it's, it's very, it's very Ponderosa-esque. It is. It It is. They, they have routinely described it as the Ponderosa of the East or described the Ponderosa as the long leaf of the West. There you go. Notwithstanding the Apache pine, which is in a literal sense, the long leaf of the West. Uh, did I just say the Ponderosa of the West? You said uh, long leaf of the West. Okay, great. So let me just rephrase just in case I messed anything up. All right. Uh, it is the Ponderosa pine of the East. Yes. Or... It would be, uh, our Ponderosa would be the longleaf pine of the West. Right. Even though the tech, the technical literal longleaf pine of the West is the Apache pine. Exactly. They're very closely related. Okay. The Apache pine, which is Pinus ingelmanii, grows in the very southern edge of Arizona and New Mexico, and then down into Mexico proper at like high elevation mountains, okay. like, you know, upwards of four or 5,000 feet. That is, uh, it's almost looks exactly the same. These big, long, thick needles and these long, tall cones. Not quite as big mm. as the longleaf pine proper, uh, but they are really closely related. So I just want to make sure that no one's going to add us for, for missing that. I appreciate that, Thank Casey. Thank you. Okay. Well, Casey, we got lots more. You, we've we've already set up a few different yeah, uh, we paths. Sure have. Yeah, We're we going to walk down each one individually. Let's do it, Alex. But that must happen after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the long leaf pine. Pinus. Oh, Casey, I'm the worst. No way. You're doing just fine. So I clicked on a bunch of images in Google Images. So when I'm hitting back. It's just cycling through those images. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly Jeez. what you are talking about. Pinus palustris. Yes, that is correct. So um, the thing about this tree is it is, it's enigmatic for so many different ways. So mm. we're going to start talking about the tree's natural history. Okay. And that natural history begins with 
the the distribution of it. So it grows, like I said, from North Carolina all the way kind of following that, that Piedmont kind of low area down through South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana to the eastern Texas. Okay. And big J shape. Yeah, big J shape. And it goes all the way down like to south of Tampa. And then below that, it kind of becomes a little too hot and humid and, and tropical for it. Okay. Um, but growing up on that area, that entire area, that entire place that I just named, and I'll show you a real quick picture from uh, conifers.org. Okay, yeah. It's just like the, the big chunk of Southeast America. Exactly, yeah. It's basically like half of the Southeast. Yeah. And it's the, the lower area that historically, when water levels were higher, that entire area was basically flat. There was, mm. it was all under a shallow sea. So it was just this very sandy, very flat bottomed area. Then as the water levels dropped, that area all got exposed. And then these trees kind of came and, and went mm. on top of it. So very like slow rolling hills, nothing super intense. Uh, there's not a big mountainous area here to really speak of. And these trees will grow throughout all of this sort of Southern uh, uh, sand, sand hill area. Okay. Now, it used to cover that entire place almost exclusively. No other trees would be growing there. Oh. And if there were some other trees, it'd be, you know, here, it'd be there. But it was something like 90 million acres of all strictly old growth longleaf pine forest. Oh, my God. Now, this is connected to the peoples who lived there. When the colonists first came over to uh, the New World, the North, North America, what we call it now, they were like, wow, you can just walk right through. It's like this whole place is a park. They thought this was just a natural way that the place was, meaning that you could walk through a forest mm-hmm. of longleaf pine, and there it would be like you're walking in a park. There'd be no understory of other types of trees. Ah. It looked like it was managed as if it was a park. Because it was? It was managed. Not necessarily as if it was a park, but it was managed because not only are there native fires that would go through there, just naturally speaking, Mm -hmm. but they would be set by the native peoples as well. Okay. They did this for multiple reasons. One, uh, it helps clear out, say, poison ivy, and it would clear out all the understory shrubs that would uh, be growing things that they didn't really necessarily use. For instance, it would keep uh, different shrubs and small trees at bay, and it would let the forbs and different things that they would eat on the ground. It would be good for deer and animals and turkeys that would go through and have this nice big open space. Mm. And this is indigenous fire management that happened all over the the United States. People said the same thing about the ponderosa pine forests as you went west. Now west, we have way more fires that happen just because of lightning, but they were also set by the indigenous people all the time. Hmm. And they also made it so you could walk on certain trade routes really easily. You can get from one place to the next. It'd keep your paths clear. So it had all these intense benefits, and it created this area where all the trees would um, be burned away that would be competing with these longleaf pines. So then you get these big, huge, honking trees that are spaced like 25, 30 feet apart in every direction. So you just get like boom, 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 boom. The longleaf pine? Yeah, correct. Oh. So By the way... 
I don't think we we talked about how big these trees get. Oh gosh, well they can get uh, easily two or three feet in diameter. In oh. fact, two feet in diameter is nothing to them. Really, they live upwards of four hundred years if you give them enough time. Wow, two hundred fifty years if you, uh, on average, if you just kind of leave them alone and uh-huh. let them develop naturally. Okay, uh, about one hundred and fifty feet tall in the greatest of conditions. Generally, uh, between maybe eighty and one hundred twenty feet would be okay. the, the big max if you just like let a tree get huge. Sort of a medium high. Yeah, medium high. But over there, that's that's pretty huge. That's as big as any big tree is going to get okay. in, in that sort of the entire eastern United States. Got it. The next tallest tree would be the uh, liriodendron, the tulip tree, and the eastern white pine. Those will get really, really big mm. and tall. Um, but this this would be another competitor for that. But generally, they just didn't get huge and massive. They kind of topped out around, like I said, 120 feet-ish. And then in extra great conditions, you can get a little bit higher than that. Got it. But uh, a good analogous tree would be the ponderosa pine. For for anyone who's in the West who hasn't been over there, just use your imagination. Imagine a well-maintained, very well-spaced, uh, old-growth ponderosa pine forest where fires have come through on average every maybe five or seven years and cleaned out everything that's between them. I think of that reminds me of like camping as a kid. Mm-hmm. We used to camp in those sorts of forests. Yeah, they're incredible, right? Like there's a tree over here, but then there's one like 20 feet that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're huge. And you can just kind of walk between them. Yeah, it felt, it felt kind of weird. It felt like sort of sterile in a way, I guess. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, um, that's that, that would make sense. Especially over here where, you know, you everything kind of gets burned and it's very short. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of what I imagined when I when I grew up. I, I sort of imagined a uh, an arboretum to look like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are some managed. that do. Okay, yeah. yeah. But not not the Hoyt Arboretum, unfortunately. Rather, I'm going to say, I'm going to take that back. Unfortunately, scratch that from the record. Uh, stenographer, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Get our lawyer on uh, the phone. Yeah. It's, uh, it's more just, you know, you have different styles where you have sure. this big open lawn with individual specimen trees. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So in at Hoyt, they actually have big collections. So you have like a collection of trees here where you have like 10 of the same species then 10 of the same species. So you have these big groups and clumpings that are in kind of a wild formation. Yeah. Hoyt's, Hoyt's a little bit more like a park. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. So these trees are incredible, and they have been a huge part of the natural system, which includes the indigenous people, um, in such an intense way where it is a it's a cultural thing where they would take um, different parts of the tree and use it for different uh, different things baskets out of these long needles you can you can make oh, yeah. them into really good baskets. That's a high value sewing needle. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, not not necessarily sewing little. That would be the thread. Excuse me. Yeah. That's a high value weaving needle. Yes, correct. And it would also be something where, again, these forests would be where they would hunt and do a lot of their foraging for whatever it is they would be looking for, because they'd also been managing that area to maintain these different systems. Smart. Now, on top of that, they were used, if you cut into them, they would produce a lot of resin. Now, before we go too far, we need to address something. Oh, yeah. You remember uh, a while back, we had a question about uh, resin and uh, sap and the differences and all these resin things. Resin versus sap. So I did some research on this. Okay, well, let's, let's recap what we, know, what we said last time. Yes, yeah. Which is that sap comes from the outer bark, or uh-huh. the inner bark, rather. Yeah, okay, yes, yes. And that resin comes from the wood. Yes. Which I found to be ironic because we call it sap wood. Right. But sap does not actually come from 
the wood. Yes, in in a certain regard, but which you, is frustrating. You did some research. And, yes, and did yes. you come up with a with something new? I have. Okay. So uh, there are two main things that 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 are kind of juices that flow from trees. Resin. I knew you would hate that. It's half the reason I wanted to use it. I appreciate that. All right. So here's the tree juice we're going to talk about today. <laughs> uh, so resin, Alex, is the stuff that is emitted from wood from resin canals. Sometimes those canals are produced in the bark. So you can get bark that produces resin. Okay. Now resin is not soluble in water. It hardens when it is exposed to air, and it doesn't really play an important part in the functioning of the plant. Okay. That is kind of the big the big ways we can we can think about these. And what it does is if you wound the wood, like the you big get a big slash or you rip a bunch of bark off, the wood itself will emit this goo that comes out of it. That is resin. Okay. And the resin will flow down and it will cover up all of the wood and then it will harden to be like almost a polymer where you can like knock on it and it'll be like a hard rock-like bit on the out. This is section. like the mosquito that gets caught in Jurassic yes. Park. That's resin. That was resin that then hardened and turned to amber. That's right. You're exactly, that's perfect. Okay. Now, sap, on the other hand, is the actual juice that goes in the phloem and the xylem. So as soon as okay. a tree sucks up uh, water, absorbs it from the from the ground through its roots with whatever dissolved stuff it has in it, then once that starts moving up in the xylem, that is considered sap. And that's more of like the blood of the tree. Yes, exactly. Okay. And the reason I've tried to like not say that uh, specifically is that blood does both these things in humans. It will come out and stop and seal the wound and harden. That's a scab. Right. It will also move all of the nutrients and stuff in and out from our cells okay. and, and all that stuff. Not a great analogy. It, exactly. But it's it's really good to conceptualize it first. But then the big thing, the big break is that you have to think that trees have two different kinds of blood. One that will block and create the scab. The other that will move nutrients and photosynthate up and down the tree. Okay. That's the big thing. So the sapwood xylem is all those cells that are just on the inside that move water up and down. That is the the sapwood. So I think you could technically say sapwood is still sapwood. I think that's an okay descriptor because the cells are still alive for almost the, the most recent three years. Most of those cells are still alive. I appreciate your research. Okay. But I am a little peeved that you're trying to destroy my scientific discovery. I'm sorry. This is like a Mozart <laughs> and the guy who tried to, to tried to beat Mozart. <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking Moriarty about. Moriarty or something. I was hoping you were going to just say, I appreciate your research. I reject it. <laughs> uh, that too. Outright. <laughs> well, so that is, that's uh, the research that I found. So okay. one, so they're very specific and a good, a good way to just, uh, think about it is that the, the sap is, um, essentially water based. So it can dissolve in water and water can be dissolved in it. Okay. That's what we make say, um, maple syrup yes. comes from the sap. Right. Uh, most broadleaf trees do not make resin. It's mostly coniferous trees, but there are plenty of examples, like the sweet gum is a great example that do produce some amount of resin hmm. that we use for other things. So, the podcast regrets the lack of knowing when the question was asked. 
There you go. And that's the best we can do, Casey. It's the best we can do. 30%, right? Thank you, Alex. I appreciate this. All right. Let's get back to... Let's get back to it. The longleaf pine. Now, the longleaf pine, mm-hmm. Alex, has this long, long-standing leaf. relationship. Oh, oh, you're right. You're right. Uh, this long-standing relationship with the indigenous people of the South. Uh, and this goes all the way, like I said, from Texas through North Carolina down to almost uh, the Tampa and Florida. Okay. But when Western colonizers came through, they took a use that the native people certainly knew about and took it to a pretty intense extreme. Mm. Uh, The thing that they used is also now referenced by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's uh, basketball team, the Tar Heels. Ah, yes. What does that mean? uh, Well, that is, this is exactly what it means, Alex. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tar on their heels. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember exactly where it comes from other than that. Uh, and, and I decided not to look further into it because, yeah, we're not a sports podcast. There's plenty out there. Someone will be able to tell us and I would prefer um, if our lovely uh, listeners want to interact with us and be like, you idiot. Yeah. It means this. What's a trailblazer? It means they blaze trails. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, guys. Yeah, you're not supposed to use the the, the word in the definition, right? Right. Uh, what's an acorn? Well, it's an acorn-like fruit. <laughs> uh, so the the trees produce what the Western civilization calls navel stores. Navel stores. Yes. What the heck? I know. It's this weird. It's this weird thing that is not in any way relevant to humans today. Okay. It still is, but in a different way because it now comes from petroleum. Uh, you know, turpentine. Uh, I've heard of it. Have I don't. I, guess I don't. Know, I don't know exactly what it is. It's alcohol, right? Uh, it is. It's a solvent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like paint thinner, essentially. Yeah. 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 Uh, have you heard of tar? Sure. Uh, pitch resin. Uh huh. Rosin. Yes, I love. I'm very familiar with rosin. Now it's all coming full circle. <laughs> You've piqued my interest, my dear boy. All of this, my friend, <laughs> comes from, or can come from the resin that comes from these trees. I see. They call these trees navel stores because are they the, the <gasps> products they get from them. I think I've got it. He touches his head. What is it, Alex? Navel stores, meaning sap used to seal boats. Yes. In the Navy. Exactly. In the early days of the U.S. Navy. In the OG days. Yeah. Now, the native peoples knew about this, and they would use it to seal, uh, like, canoes, and they'd use it to seal uh, water-carrying baskets and Mm. things like this. The colonists came over. They realized that this was such an intense thing, and this is from a lot of different pine trees. Anything that produces this kind of resin, they would use for this, and they would turn it into all sorts of stuff, mostly used to secure ships and make them waterproof and like keep things together. You can distill it in certain ways, essentially take a bunch of wood, put it together, and then uh, put it in a big old kiln. And the, the well, there's a couple references we have to kind of describe how they did this. Mm. But suffice it to say, they would make a bunch of charcoal and they'd cover it in these either dugout pits or build this kind of thing on the side of a hill, put a bunch of wood in there, cover it with soil or peat moss or something to kind of keep it as a cool, low oxygen fire. Okay. Then it would not necessarily burn the wood, but it would get them so hot that all of this tar and resin and would just pour out of it. Wow. Turn the wood into charcoal, which then you could go use as a fuel source. But then 
they would take that uh, the drippings essentially, and they would distill it to make turpentine, and that would be used in paints and as a solvent for all sorts of stuff. They would use the tar and other uh, and other qualities of the pitch to actually put on the sides of ropes and put on anything that they wanted to be waterproof because it would essentially get onto it dry and be this like really robust waterproof covering on top of whatever it was. You know, Casey, I I think it's easy, and this is something that I'm reminded of over and over again. Yeah. I think it's easy to say, like, you know, humanity before science Uh was a thing and science practices or like, or technology, you know, like the, especially like the industrial revolution, but particularly science and chemistry and stuff like humans before that would be like, Oh, they didn't know how to do anything. They didn't know anything. But like, I am just calm. I'm reminded over and over again in this podcast of the ingenuity and cleverness and intelligence of people. It's amazing. Um, that's incredible. And they, and they would do this without even killing the trees. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes they would do it and they would, if they wanted a bunch, they would cut the tree down or they'd even tear out the the roots Uh and they would cut them up and they would do this, this charcoaling process. But otherwise, um, this other tree that we talked about, Pinus eliadii, the the slash pine. Yeah. They would call it that because they would put slashes, um, kind of like a herringbone pattern where you just go kind of a 45 degree angle and they'd slash a couple times sure. up, up the wood. And then they'd put a little bar that goes into another bar that goes into a bucket and then it would drip the sap or not. Sorry. It would drip the resin, uh. the pitch into this bucket and then they would go and take that and refine it into all these other things. Wow. And they were doing this since like the 1600s. Damn. It's amazing, Alex. I think you're totally right that like the ingenuity, I I think the big difference is today we can uh, figure out all the molecular things that are happening and then synthesize it. Right. Create it ourselves rather than depending on some other natural process. Also industrialize it. Exactly. And so now it comes from the reason why we don't have a bunch of trees that we're still using this for at an industrial scale. It's because now we get it from petroleum and other other, Mm. uh, industrial processes. Wow. But that's not where our story ends. This is also a pine tree that they commonly call yellow pine. Okay. Yellow pine is a very broad uh, kind of unofficial term in the lumber industry mm. where a lot like ponderosa pine, Jeffrey pine, they're all called yellow pine. Oh, because the wood is sort of yellowish? Yeah, yeah. It's like the, the wood color that you expect to see, you Okay. Know? And so they would say, yeah, we got a bunch of yellow pine, but that could be loblolly pine, slash pine, could be a bunch of different pines that grow down there, could be um, all of our pines that grow over here pretty much. Gotcha. Um, Not all of them, but specifically Jeffrey pine and Ponderosa pine. Okay. Now, in the South, uh, it was completely destroyed after the Civil War, and they... All these forests were burned. A lot of them were cut and turned into agriculture, plantations for other different cash crops and things like this. They would cut the trees down and then say, oh, well, instead of plant, or of planting back the longleaf pine, we're going to plant back slash pine because it grows a little faster. Mm. Or the wood has this other priority that we want. Maybe it produces a little bit more naval stores at the time. Or loblolly pine, which grows famously fast. That's like the timber tree of the South. Oh. So over time, the vast majority of the longleaf pine forests of the South yeah. were cut. 
Okay. And replaced by something else. Do we know how much a vast majority? Like 95 to 98%. That's incredible. And Almost all. It also very sadly reminds me of the Southern Live Oak. Yeah, exactly. Kind of the same trajectory, huh? Not only the same trajectory, hmm. Is there Alex. a pattern here, Casey? <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be. Literally the same thing. Naval stores making ships. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Making ships or building houses, rebuilding after the Civil War. Oh, like, man. Big, huge trees that were like readily available. They would just, they, they all got cut. It's what happens. It's happened everywhere. Uh, you can name any continent except Antarctica, probably, and it's all, it's all been done. It's all been hacked and gone away and the forests are nothing like what they used to be some of some of the early makings of the military industrial complex yeah actually that's exactly right so it's very sad and it has these huge repercussions because these were the like primary forest ecosystems for a the indigenous people who live there yeah and b all the indigenous animals that used to live there oh, so for instance the red cockaded woodpecker is a critically endangered species of woodpecker which is a huge it is the essentially uh, spotted owl of the southeast. Okay. Where you essentially, if you have this bird on your property, you can't cut your trees down. Wow. So people are like, well, this bird doesn't exist on my property. Or if it does, I'm going to shoot it before it actually is noticed. Like it's one of those Critically things- endangered. Yeah. I never. Endangered. I don't think I've ever heard of critically endangered. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you have. You just may have not, like maybe it just wasn't noted, but like the spotted owl, I think is on that level. Yeah. It's like the, the next, next level where okay. it's like, we think there's like 20 of them left kind of thing. Now, there are more than that. They routinely call them RCWs, red cockaded woodpeckers mm. down there. It is, it's a huge issue between land management and reforestation and like animal conservation. It sounds like a good episode of Completely Arbitrary. Oh, Tell I, that story. I think we could. I think we could. But this is, this bird is like specifically, they only make nests in this one particular kind of forest. I see. Unique among birds, they will bore out holes in the living section of trees. Most of the time, like our, mm. uh, any other woodpecker will usually make their homes and actually bore out the holes that they nest in, in a dead part of a tree. Is because it's softer? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it does it here, but here's why. If they uh, pound into this tree and make their little nest, yeah. famously, this tree puts out a lot of resin. Ah, That resin apparently deters snakes and other kind of animals hey. to go in and get the little babies and the bird. So they've developed this unique habitat. Then they only do it in really big trees. And then that is this ecosystem. You cut down all the trees. And this is, uh, this is why I have this stump with a dodo sitting on my tattooed mm-hmm. arm here. Uh, that is the same thing where you cut down a bunch of trees, you don't realize how that changes and and ramifies throughout the environment. Because now this bird is critically endangered because you cut down all the trees that it was in. Yeah, You cut down all those trees and you stop fire suppression, different trees grow back. And then that affects all the other animals that used to depend on maybe the seeds, maybe the open habitat at certain insects. And you get this massive change in what used to live there and what lives there now. And this is the biggest thing that people are thinking about now down in the South. And it has become this really unique point of not contention, but agreement between a lot of stakeholders. Because this is a kind of tree that grows really well in these ecosystems. Full stop. There's a really cool, no, not full stop. To wit, Alex, let me tell you. Oh my let me, God. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Casey. I skipped over one really fun thing about oh, this wow. tree. Oh, wow. Let's hear it. It's called the grass stage. 
Oh gosh. You ever heard about this? Yeah, well this was this was uh, a <laughs> yeah. This is like the whole reason we wanted to do this treat. Yeah. And here we are. Oh my this, god. This is perfect for us though, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like it is. Alex, I love the grass stage. Uh, this is like we go to the you, you go to the I really need sugar to make this dessert. Uh-huh. I'll go to the grocery store. And while you're at the grocery store, you're like, "Oh, they I I ran out of peanut butter. I'll grab some peanut butter." "Oh, I sh- I need eggs." Yeah. And then you get home and you have three bags of groceries and no sugar. And no sugar. Yeah, this is it. Luckily, someone told us, "Hey, mister, you forgot your sugar." <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> the grass stage is one of the coolest things any trees do. Yeah, let's talk about it. This is, uh, it's not specific to the longleaf pine, but it is like one of very few trees that does this. Mm. Uh, essentially what it does, this little seed grows and uh, puts down some roots. The roots start growing. Uh, the next year, it will put out this new flush of long needles, but it will look like a poof on the ground. Yeah. It'll literally look like wire grass, which is the species of grass that actually grows around these trees to mm. begin with. Trying to blend in. It is. It's all it's doing. It's just trying to be cool. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. Little did they know. It will grow like that for up to, I've heard, 20 years. This in the grass happening. stage? In the grass stage, where it's just growing little by little, little by little, little by little, little by little. What the hell are they waiting for? They are waiting for a fire. Oh, Casey. Yes. I see. Normally, this would be five to seven years or so. And then once it gets to that fifth or seventh year or something, generally a fire comes through. Yeah. When that fire comes through, it burns all the needles that are kind of growing in this really tight, tight grass stage area. And what that does is the top of the needles kind of go scorched and burn off. The bottom, the candle, which is what we call the the growing bud of conifers, or specifically pine trees, Mm. call that the candle. The candle is protected by this big bunch of needles. As soon as that fire comes over, it triggers the tree the next year to shoot up. And that candle grows about several feet, like three or four feet in a matter of months. Wow. And then uh, pops up on with a bunch of new green foliage on the top and all along it. And then that stays like that for that year. Then the next year, it's above the level of where fire comes through. Then it grows for <laughs> another five or seven years. Then another fire comes through, but the tree's already developed thick enough bark and it's grown tall enough that the fires don't kill it. It's really got to. It's really got to time things right, huh? It totally does, but it waits for it. You know, like yeah. you're not going to get two fires in a row, right? Generally speaking, the trees have figured this out. So during that seven years, it's storing energy with yeah. with photosynthesis through those bl- those grass blades. Yes, and which are those like modified needles? No, they're just normal needles. But they're okay. like imagine a, a clump oh, of grass. Okay, it just looks like a clump of grass, but it's all the same. You know, twelve or thirteen inch long needles. Wow, you can identify. You can just look like, oh, it's a little teeny tiny tree. It looks like a seedling, but it doesn't grow beyond the seedling for, you know, a a couple years. Wild. Yeah. So it's a, that is a fire adaptation that's different than all the other trees that you'd find over here. Certainly. That's especially cool. I'm glad we stopped the show to to get that in. Okay. Me too. Fascinating (laughs) tree. And this, again, you have to give credit to the people who, as we noted at the top of the show, were probably here upwards of 20,000 years ago. They probably had a lot to do with this tree really, really developing uh, this technique. I will say likely this tree was already doing some form of this way before people got here. Sure. But the people who have been putting these fires every several years to help keep the ecosystem the way they initially found it or the way that they have been managing it for their best interest, 
the trees and this whole thing have become adapted to each other. It's cool what can happen when people act as stewards of nature and, exactly. and not destructors. Yes, and I always I always love to to just imagine what that used to look like. Yeah. And Alex, you know what? We don't need to imagine it as much as we used to. Because people are actively trying to regenerate these forests and oh, recreate good. them. Because like this is lost habitat. If we just redo this, we can have these gorgeous, beautiful park-like settings that are going back to this kind of way that it used to be yeah. in a, not a romantic sense, but in an actual kind of ecological sense. Rebuild cultural uh, ties with the the land and the mm-hmm. area and our parks and that kind of thing. And you end up getting this uh, this really unique kind of collection of indigenous people and land managers and uh, nature conservationists and hunters. Like everyone's kind of coming together saying, yeah, let's recreate these forests because it's good for everybody. Yeah, We're all happy with the outcome. And everyone seems to be kind of getting on board across the South trying to rehabilitate and plant these trees back where they where they historically were and now are not because we've changed that ecosystem. Well, that's great news, Casey. That's great I, news. I think we should end on that note because we often end with a really depressing tag. <laughs> yes, so I'm going to cut that off at the pass. <laughs> We're going to go into a review of this tree. Alex, it looks like if we keep going, it gets really dark and scary. Should we Should we not go down there? We're turning around. We're turning around. Uh, We're going to give some final thoughts on the longleaf pine and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden cones of honor. Big, big, big cones. Yeah, really big cones. As our resident expert case, we begin with you. All right. Alex, I, as I said, really wanted to collect a cone from this particular tree. Yeah. When I was going down uh, to the south this last spring, this was the tree that was on my mind. Mm. I had to collect a bunch of cones from a lot of different trees and compare them so that I could tell the difference between the loblolly, the slash pine, and the longleaf pine. Excuse me. Freudian. It's very Freudian. Uh, Dr. Freud. Hello, paging Dr. Freud. So I decided, uh, you know, once I could figure it, once I did figure it out, I was just like, this is perfect. And it mm. like became all of a sudden instantly clear. I memorized in Okefenokee National Wildlife Preserve with cones set up on the picnic table, dissecting and saying which ones are which. And it, the, the pattern jumped out. I mean, I separated them all. And I was like, <laughs> there it is. You have beautiful mind-esque <laughs> graphics floating around yeah, your I did. head. There's a lot of equations and, and square roots and things. <laughs> and I, I looked up hey, and I was like, square roots. here it is. Oh, my God. Roots. Never even thought about that. Sorry. Roots. It was not worth the inter- inter- in- interruption. I disagree. Um, and I ended up finding like a bunch of these places uh, in uh, northern Florida and North Carolina, just finding these trees all over the place. Yeah. And just, I think they are stunning. I think they're open forests with saw palmettos and wire grass and like shrubs growing around it. It's just one of the most beautiful situations you can ever imagine. Wow. And sometimes they just go on for as long as you can see. They're just everywhere. And then permeated every now and then with a gorgeous live oak just kind of coming through the canopy. Mm. They're just stunning. And they're so like ecologically and um, and like historically, like everyone has like something to do with it. The, the Western cultures that came over and are like, they have this whole song about it. Wagon wheel, you know, going out of the land of the pine, like the, the, the cultural history is, is just thick with this tree. 
as well as the uh, ecologic history, I'm giving this... Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. The way you said that made it sound like Wagon Wheel was like an old col- co- colonial oh. song. Oh my gosh, it kind of... <laughs> I guess it, 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 it harkens back to old colonial sure. ideas, I guess. Man, maybe, maybe I'm not... Maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I'm sure there's someone who, who's like, no, no, no. It is. Potentially. So um, I specifically am going to give it an 8.8. 8.8. 8.8 Golden Cones of Honor. Fantastic score, Casey. Yes, and I'm avoiding a lot of controversy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Alex. Don't tell me what that means. <laughs> All right, I won't, I won't tell you what it means. That's, uh, that's personal to me. All right, Alex, that's what I have to say about it. Yeah. You've been over here patiently looking at the cone. What do you give? How many do you give... Why do you give to the Longleaf Pine? Alas, poor Longleaf. Yeah. That was so, uh, like, uh, uh, you're holding it up like a, uh, like you're holding the skull in, uh, what is that, uh, that Shakespeare play? Casey. Romeo and uh, Ophius or something. Are you being cheeky? That was the joke I was making. Yeah, good, 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 good. <laughs> Anyway, Alex, let's uh, move you, on. You little... Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I was like, I was trying to show everyone what it was you were doing, and yes. I, but I didn't, uh, I didn't get it. Oh, boy. Anyway, all my jokes are bad. Alex, <laughs> Casey, if you were going to give this... That made uh, me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to give this tree a rating uh, between 1 and 10, yes. golden, 0 and 10, Golden Cones of Honor. That's right. No assumptions here. Yeah, don't forget that bottom barrel score. Exactly. Uh, what would you do? Uh, Casey, I like the Longleaf Pine a lot. I say this from you know third-party accounts. I don't know if I've ever seen one. Mm. Uh in my in my with my fleshy eyes okay. but this cone i have seen it's right in front of me yep. i smelled it. it smells a little bit like pickles yep yep it should it is in a giant pickle jar it smells like pine and pickles Oof, which uh, i think maybe you could market yeah i probably could ah pickled pine <laughs> um great cone i love it's a, a fire adaptability that yep. that quirk it, the grass stage is incredibly cool mm-hmm. i love its importance in native cultures I love, I don't love the, the colonial uses for it. That bums me out. It's not the tree's fault. It's not the tree's fault. I will, I, I'm really feeling an 8.5 on this. An 8.5, that's solid. Yeah, 8.5 golden cones of honor. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. For the longleaf pine. It's incredible. Gives us an average about 8.7, huh? Yeah, it does. Yeah, on average, that's it. That's a really good score. It is. Like, most trees don't even get near there. That's true. I think for a long time, we were doing a lot of sixes. Sixes and sevens. Yeah. Nothing that really inspired us. No. No offense, everyone, but, you know. Yeah, sorry, sorry to Amanda who said serviceberry is her favorite tree, and we give it like a four. Amanda, Amanda, we're with you. <laughs> that was our review of the Longleaf Pine, Casey. Earlier in the show, I teased mm-hmm. that I have something for you. In fact, I have a few somethings for you. Tell me more. They're in the refrigerator. What? Uh, I'm gonna play a musical sting here, and we'll be right back with the game. Casey, it's apple season here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, okay. The orchards are positively 
uh, overflowing with different varieties of your favorite fruit. Yes, that's true. Sometimes so much that actually breaks the tree because they are uh, essentially growing things that are way too large and massive for their actual natural uh, means of growing, and it's quite a disturbed uh, thing. <laughs> hey, it's not too different from the, the chicken factory farming industry, huh? Yes. Oh, my God. Thank you. Apples are factory farm fruit. <laughs> Don't support it. I mean, I think most fruit is... Yes. Buy them. <clears throat> Keep going, Alex. Here's a fun game, uh, and I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We have at least one listener who, I, if, she, if she's still listening, uh, she'll be quite happy that we're doing this. Okay, wonderful. Yes. This is called The Poem Zone. You and I have a plate full of different <laughs> kinds of apples. Alex, I got to stop you. That was hilarious. All right. So good. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have a plate of apples, five different varieties. Okay. Apologies to our misophonic friends. We're going to do our best not to chew into the microphone. Mm-hmm. We'll edit this so that we're not like, oh, I really think this is really good. You know, yeah, we'll fair. chew, swallow. Hey, what do you think about this one? So I'm aware that it's a thing. Thank you. Here we go. You have five different varieties of apples on your plate, Casey. Okay, I see them. One you requested specifically, which is the one we're going to start with. Oh. We're going to give we're going to we're going to give these bad boys a taste. Okay. Really let it let the flavors you know sink in. Yes. We're going to describe the flavor of each one. We're going to tell you the species. Okay. Or the variety. Yes. Um, and then we are going to give them a flash rating ah. on a zero on a scale of zero to ten golden poems of honor okay that sounds good as we all know apples are poems botanically exactly that is the joke all right casey let's start at 12 o'clock we got a classic honey crisp a honey crisp apple mm, mm-hmm. i tell you what that's delicious case the texture on this one i'm not crazy about i know texture varies wildly even between apples of the same variety you know, you might get a mealy one here or there, but I think there's some generalities per per variety. I see. This is a very edible apple. This one is yeah. super accessible. You can give this to your toddler, right? I think so. Yeah, it's not too spicy. It's not too. Uh, it's not too intense. Mm-mm. It's not too sour. I uh, just yeah. I mean, I mean specifically, the texture is very smooth. Mm, yes, it's yeah, yeah, soft. Yeah. It's not like I really. It won't make your glum, your gums bleed. Yeah. You know? Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um. The, the texture was easy to get through. The flavor is incredibly sweet. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Uh. So I um uh silly ate the entire thing, right off the bat. Just threw the whole little slice in my mouth and chewed it down. Um. I'm gonna give this one. I think I'm gonna say a seven. I don't know what the exact scale is, so we're just gonna start blindly. I'm gonna give that a seven. Uh. In terms of apples, which again on the scale on the spectrum of deciding where they are, right. it's way far down. Of course. So, but this one's gonna be a seven out of ten uh, of the uh, of the space that apples take up, wherever that happens. Which to be. is the bottom two of our normal scale. Exactly. You get it. <laughs> I think the honey crisp was great. I don't love the texture. I like a, a more firm apple, generally. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I don't mind it, though, of course. I like to get through it. I like to. I like an apple that kind of is like, I, I can't take it. Sure. It's a good snacking apple, I yeah, think. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to give it a seven as well, Case. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, I really like the flavor yeah, a lot. It's very good. I like the sweetness of it. Me too. All right. Okay, Case. And not really, not that, not all that tart. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, a, yeah. Just a hint of tartness. Exactly. Um, but I will say... It's got a good snap to the skin. Uh, That's something in sausages and apples. Oh, you want that? You want that good snap. Ah, I didn't know In that. my opinion. Okay. Hey, you are educated. <laughs> Casey, at the three o'clock position on your plate, we have 
an Arkansas black. Oh. This apple's small, about mm, two inches in diameter, maybe. Smells like an apple. It does smell like an apple. It's it's deep Merlot red, I would say. I think it's fair. And it's got a nice matte. Well, I guess all these have matte finishes. They're not uh, coated in corn wax. Yeah, it's true. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I will say it's pretty unpleasant, this one. (laughs) It's extremely tart. It is very fibrous. It's very chewy. It's extremely chewy and tough. Mm. And... This is when I when I referenced gum bleeders. This one will make your gums bleed. Yeah, I feel like this is the kind that you'd wow. see an old prospector eating and kind of let it dribble out of their mouth, you know? And you're like, are you sure you want to eat that? You're like, all apples is the same to me. It's like, geez. As long as I get my gold. Yeah, Joe, yeah, right. He's, uh, he's, he's pretty, he's spot on. Mm. Yeah, that one was good. Honestly, the flavor seemed a little bit, uh, a little bit flat for me. I wanted something that was going to give me a little bit more of a pop. That really? One, uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get the the tartness that you were that you were getting. I'm getting a lot of tartness. Yeah, yeah. We this is the same apple, right? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna give that one. Uh, yeah, because now my my mouth hurts a little bit. Uh-huh. I think I'm gonna give that one a, a four. Yeah, I'm thinking a five. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's but um, I will say, the whole thing kind of had the texture of the middle of the apple. Oh, I see the core of the yeah. apple. Ooh, rough. Ooh, it's like yeah. the worst part of the apple. Really fibrous. Okay, yeah, Casey. Right. Good try. Good try. At the six o'clock position, we have a Mutsu. A Mutsu apple. Yeah, okay. the Mutsu is big. Yeah. It is um, Granny Smith green. Uh-huh. It's got nice white, slightly yellow flesh. Okay. Let's give it a try. It smells It smells kind of like um, not great. Yeah, I couldn't get a really good smell uh, profile from it. Oh, wow. Can you guys tell here who's the culinary person and who's the... Just give me the pasta with the green sauce, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> Every time you bite in, you have this like visceral reaction, and it's something different. I bite in, I'm like, eh, it tastes like another apple. Hmm. You know, this one's good. I like it. Uh, it kind of tastes like um, it kind of tastes like like white wine to me. A little yes, bit. it's very floral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's ha- it has a fine bite. I don't know. It's chunky. It's kind of it's the kind of apple that comes off in big like sheets, you know, or like big like ch- big yeah sl- sludge. Uh, what what am I thinking of? I don't know, but it's really making this even worse for me. Like a rock slide. You, you know, know, this is a sludge apple. This is the kind of apple that you'd find in a sludge heap. It's very flavorful. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. The Mets- Metsuni? Mutsu. Mutsu. Okay. I like the skin. The skin is nice and tart. Okay, case that was Mutsu. Oh, yeah. What's your score? I'll go first. Okay. I'm going to give this a seven. I'm going to go six. All right. The reason I'm going six is because it's a little chewy on the outside with all that skin. Yeah. You yeah, don't I like am. that chewy skin. No, I don't like it. I don't like it. Take it away. It's the, it's, you know what? You're really onto something with it tasting like white wine, Casey. Yeah. Hey, thank you. It's, uh, it, it, it kind of is dry, like a dry white wine. Oh, a little bit, uh, astringent. Mm-hmm. You're saying. Yeah, it's like drying out my mouth a little bit. There you go. Just in case you got a wet mouth, eat an apple. <laughs> Funny enough. <laughs> uh, I was recently, I recently recorded an album, uh-huh. a record and the, my producer uh-huh. on that record, uh, told me that a classic thing when you're recording vocals is you want to eat an apple right beforehand to moisturize your mouth. Really? So you don't get a lot of mouth sounds. Huh. Yeah. I had no idea. So there well, you go. There you go. Uh, at the nine o'clock position, Casey. At the nine o'clock. We have what is called the Ashmead Kernel. Three hours to midnight. 
And we have an Ashmead kernel. That's right. It is uh, a pretty standard looking uh, green apple. Yeah, it's got a little bit of uh, 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 dots on the outside. Yeah, it has like that chicken skin yeah, sort of like, look. Uh, it really has a potato look to to the flesh. It does. A yellow potato specifically, not I, a russet. I think it might be oxidizing a little bit since oh, I cut, yeah, cut I it. Yeah, that's fair. But We're not going fast enough. Let's, let's see how it tastes. All right, everyone. This one's spicy. This one's great. Yeah, you like it. The outside to me tastes like a like a, almost. Um, what's the? It, it's like it's got powder on it or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like it feels like it kind of goes in my mouth. It's very tart. I don't know how I feel about this one. This one, uh, the tartness is a little much for me. See, I think it's tart, but I think it has a good balance of tartness and sweetness. This is like a tart that I that I appreciate and can handle. Tastes mm. like lemonade. It's very effervescent. It kind of it kind of sizzles in the mouth. You got a lot of good terms over there. You ever thought about being like a um uh, um Malice No. <laughs> well, Alex, you should really use good imagination term. more. Okay, but yeah, what, it almost it almost tastes like carbonated. What was the the name of that one? It did. Yeah, carbonated. Um, yeah, that's right. It tastes that was like, a an Ashmead kernel. Ashmead kernel. I really like that now, one. Now, is that an Ashmead kernel as in yes, sir, or Ashmead kernel like of corn? It's of corn. Ah. Okay. Of corn. I see. Corn. Um, But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I really like that one. I, w- I would give that like a, man, on this scale, I'd give mm. that like an eight and a half, nine. Eight and a half, nine? Yeah. I don't think I can put that past six and a half. Uh, really? It wasn't, it was, it was, it was fine. I think I'd, I'd go down to even like six point negative one. Okay. Yeah. Just because I'm like, eh. So five point nine. I said six point negative one. Okay, okay. Alex. I have had enough of your uh, your revisionist. It's an analogy. History. It's, it is. It's, a, it's like this. That's a simile, I guess. Technically, <laughs> sorry, Casey. We have one last apple to rate. All right, the black hole of apples. What is this? This is the wine sap. Oh. So what do you think this is going to taste like? I okay. So looking at the outside, it kind of it looks like the fall colors of a of a sweet gum. It's kind of like got dark reds, light yellows, yeah. and every kind of shade of orangeish. In the middle, yeah, it looks very camouflaged on a canvas of of like coral red. I think so. Yeah, exactly. So I I am expecting this is going to taste like um, the smell of a cork of merlot. I would love that. Okay, let's here try we it go. It's a it's a dark flavor. It goes deep. Yeah, I wouldn't call this like a refreshing snacking apple. No, I don't think so. Yeah, this is like it's like the apple you serve at a funeral. <laughs> this is the kind of apple you want to stew. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, put over like vanilla ice cream or something. Yeah. Or maybe put into a cauldron when you're making a making a spell. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I see here. I'm gonna take one more bite. I like the flavor. It's just not my favorite like application of an apple. I like more a uh, sort of a brighter tartar mm, flavor. I think I would take that one with like covered in cinnamon and get rid of that skin. Sure. Thumbs up. Yeah, that skin is really tough. Yeah, this the, is yeah. some thick skin. Yeah, that, that's going to clean out my uh, my insides as it's going through me. Oh I yeah, like it's going to just scrape off any of the sludge that's inside of me. You and I are going to have like extremely healthy colons after this experiment, we sure Casey. Are. We sure are. When you enter the poem zone, you exit <laughs> with a clean colon. I I'm gonna give that one an eight. That one was, I think, my favorite because it had the most savoriness to it, and I like savoriness. Make a clean exit from the pwn zone. <laughs> I said pwn with with a 
with a wine sap. I like that one. Um, I don't love it though. I'm gonna say six five. Six five. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't get anything past eight and a half, did we? Um, no. My my highest one was that mm. that last one. You know what? I'm glad we did. Uh, just as a side note, we yeah. didn't have any red delicious or Granny Smith. Oh yeah. Because I think I would have ended the show right then. I would have been said, I, I, "No, thank you." Yeah. See, when you say you don't like apples, yeah, I think. Do you have like this sort of like boomer outdated? idea of apples you're, you're talking granny you're like i i Maybe. don't like uh rap music like snoopy dog dog <laughs> I, you know, maybe I it's might. Like, well, listen I might to, be able to admit that. You know, listen to some independent, like underground rappers. Okay, and, so you know, you're saying these are the under the independent underground apples. I would say so. I've never okay. heard of a single one of these except for Honeycrisp. That is fair. I also had not heard of this, so I yeah. will give I will give credit to that. If you can, if those kinds of apples can make a resurgence, mm-hmm. and they are in the. Uh, like you, you get like a box lunch. You go to a conference or something. And sure. Like, Here's your box lunch, and Ugh. they have like this green, like factory produced apple. Yeah. On this tree that is like completely destroyed without any ecosystem. It's just like they're squirting in nutrients exactly how much they need, like the matrix of apples. I'm I'm very much against that. I don't want that. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's good. So if this is if if this is the new age of apples, yeah, then maybe I can be convinced. Hey, and, you're here, baby. And maybe we have to do a revision of our apple episode by that i mean a different apple species and come at it from a different perspective that'd be great hey you know what admitting you're wrong is the first step <laughs> to, then what in what in what journey to apple recovery casey <laughs> okay i mean <laughs> here's my card uh, <laughs> welcome to the poem zone where apple recovery is our number one priority poem zone is like my my scientology that i'm <laughs> yeah. talking to people your your cult to like you know reintegrate people back into eating <laughs> apples again <laughs> all right you know what i'm gonna leave that door open and say maybe all right hey i'll take it case wow okay casey that was the poem zone it's time for our completely arbitrary q a this week as every week now is from the patreon brought to you by quirkus and alder that's right mark ratzlaff mark asks when we say things like quote thorn mimosa is in the pea family or quote mountain mahogany is in the rose family Mm -hmm. a rose is not a tree and a mahogany is not a flower. So are these titles meaningless? How can they be related when they are so massively different? If a flower, mm. did a flower evolve into a tree or vice versa? Lumping this stuff together confuses me. Casey, I said this before I record. I think we have a natural born splitter on our hands. I think we sure do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate this question to just the nth degree. All right. Well, so, let's talk about it. There's a lot there, right? Um, the first thing I'll, I'll hit on is that, yes, these do matter. These are specific terms, and it all comes down to precedence. So when Linnaeus first invented uh, his form of taxonomy, which is the one we all use today in the scientific realm, yeah, uh, the binomial names, um, there is a precedence that comes with something. So if you have the type species of something then that is the thing that defines it. So the type species of pinus defines everything that is now pinus. Anything that differs too far from that is now considered a different species. Right. 
So um, if you are naming something, say the Pine family, for instance, or the Rose family, it is defined by essentially this thing that the Rose initially was described as. So for instance, um, flower parts in multiples of five. So all those things, they say, okay, this is the type that defines everything in the Rose family. So they named the Rose first, they put it in its family, and they said anything that looks like this is in this family. Okay. So it just was the very first one. So it established that precedent, then everything kind of conforms to it. When we were talking about the Thorn Mimosa, that the big controversy was that initially um, our species that we covered, the Thorn Mimosa, was the type species for everything that was acacia. And then they split it up and then moved that type species to a different acacia species from Oceana and then made this into the uh, Vichelia. Very controversial. Very controversial because that was the initial one. So as soon as they see one, they say, okay, this is a pine. It, it is in the pine family, Pinaceae. It's kind of the, it takes a precedent. So if there is something that was described older that is actually a pine in the pine family, then they'd say, okay, that, that one is actually the, the now new type of specimen. They would move everything back, and it is that precedence that is what says what it is. So the rose family is uh, initially named after the rose, and then when we explored and found other plants, we'd say, oh, okay, so this is going to be placed in this family, and it just happened to be that the rose is the very first thing that we found. Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of. A little bit? Okay. Yeah. So like those those plants that we found that we decided were going to go in the rose family. Yeah. In, in the very big first book that Linnaeus did, when he reorganized everything, uh -huh. he just made this arbitrary choice and said, rose is, I'm going to name the rose family after the rose. Oh, okay. But the 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 proto or the plant type species, uh -huh. the type species. Yeah was a rose like the flower yeah exactly okay yeah. Now, so when we find things that have that grow flowers like a rose mm -hmm. we put those trees in the rose family exactly yeah because it's all based on sexual parts that's the okay. big innovation hey you don't have to tell me twice yeah right hey Linnaeus thumbs up bro awesome that that's his thing. Like actually, famously, he was a very sexual person, and like really? added a lot of sexual things to plants. Yeah, like vulva is the name of a thing on a mushroom. Like, wow, uh, there's a lot of different um, uh, little like hints at like sexual human parts in plant names, especially yeah. like certain uh, European ones, because those are the plants that he was most familiar with. Interesting. Yeah, so he's famous for having like these kind of little kind of uh, uh, creepy little things pop in there with different names of sexual parts. Be like, a, like a little little old perv? A little bit of a perv. A little bit of a <laughs> 17th uh, century or 18th century perv. Hey, you know yeah. what? If you want to be a harmless perv, you do <laughs> Just you. Just name a bunch of plants. You do things. you. Yeah, yeah, that seems, I'm not, I guess, I'm not about to shame that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna steer clear uh, and stick to the botanics of, of what we're dealing with here. But yeah, that's what he does. So uh, the, the big innovation that he did is he said, we are going to uh, classify plants by their sexual parts, which would be the flowers, the cone, the pollen, and all those organs uh, that do the reproductive okay. things. So Mark's other, other uh, example, yeah. mahogany. 
mountain, mountain mahogany, mahogany, which is yeah. a plant, exactly a flower. That's a tree. It's a tree that grows uh, at high elevations in the uh, inter mountain west. Okay. Yeah. So it grows as a small tree, maybe ten or fifteen feet tall. Um, and what do you believe? oh, it's that's in the rose family. I'm sorry. Yes, okay. it is in the rose family, but it's not. Uh, but rose is not a tree. So the second part of this question was: Does a flower evolve into a tree? That answer is yes. Officially speaking, really? Uh, yeah, hundred uh, percent. This goes back to our Catalpa episode where we talked about what is a tree, and a tree is more of a strategy for how a plant grows. Right. So, um, xylem allegedly has evolved—not evolved separately, but it's popped up in a lot of different plants, kind of independently. Mm-hmm. So the theory goes that way back when there was one, there's genes for growing secondary wood inside most plants but either they've lost it over time or they have just never turned it on but if you manipulate their genes you can make an herbaceous plant put on secondary growth and actually create wood it's going to be a bit of a frankenstein kind of experience trunkenstein trunkenstein how about in that? the most literal sense right yeah yeah so in this case, um, yes. So the way that it would work is sometime way back when the first, uh, the first rosid, which it would be the first rose-like plant, which was a species of some kind, mm. that one developed what we now know as the rose kind of family traits. Sure. Those came down. Some of those became Rosa, which are the the genus is the genus for roses. Some became apples, some became pears, some cherries, et cetera, et cetera. And then mountain mahogany was another one that's in the rose family. Okay. So one uh, didn't turn off the woodiness and now grows as a tree still. Some, like roses, kind of have a pseudo woodiness where they get woody, but they don't really put on that secondary xylem like what you see in a tree. And some just stay completely as uh, vines, like something in the rubus genus, which is like blackberries and raspberries and Mm -hmm. things like that. All in the rose family, but they all kind of go about it in a different way. So these things are not just related taxonomy. Taxonom. Hmm. So these things are not just related taxonomically. Yeah. They're also related like DNA wise. Exactly. And that's the thing with taxonomy these days. Uh, the big idea of cladistics is that in order to be classified taxonomically, that taxonomy needs to reflect a phylogenetic relationship, which is essentially um, ancestor to ancestor to ancestor okay. to present day descendant. Wow. So that is the idea. And that was a big, big thing that came came around fairly recently where the fish is not a fish or the tree, you know, trees don't exist kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're saying uh, this explicitly, if you want to make a correct natural order of things, which is taxonomy, it needs to represent the evolutionary uh, descendancy of all of these plants gotcha. and how they're related, which is very, very hard to do. Um, but we've we've made leaps and bounds in, in DNA analysis and morphological character assessments to try and make sure we got all those things right. So yeah, they're all related in a evolutionary sense, and because of that, the taxonomy uh, is trying to put them in that correct category to show that. And that was that was a 
way post Linnaeus thing. Yes, yeah. Cladistics really came around in the 1900s, really. I think that's when they very first, maybe the late 1800s. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not a super familiar with all that literature. And Linnaeus was? 1700s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Real, real early. Great. Well, there yeah. you have it. Thank there you, you so much, Mark, for your question. Very good question. It's a very great question. If you have a question that you think is a great question, or even a question that you think is just okay, join the Patreon at the Quercus and Aller. That's Q&A tier for three bucks a month. Or hey, you can join the Arboretum for five dollars a month and get two bonus episodes and 15% off our merch store at all times That's in all places. Beautiful. Or you can join the Cone of Month Club, Alex, which gets you a new independent made cone uh, sent to you in the mail. It's a sticker, not an actual cone. Right. Once a month, plus cool. access to all of the old ones. It would be cool if we actually could do that. The shipping cost would be off the charts, though. Yeah. We probably spread a lot of disease, too. Don't do it. We're not going to do it. I'll take it back. <laughs> Don't even joke about it. <laughs> or you can join Arbitrary Plus and get two live streams a month from Casey and I, where we talk about trees. And a bunch of other related topics. Do live Q&As, play live trivia games, interact with us as much as you want. And one of me playing a video game, a tree or nature-related video game. It's going to be very cozy. It has been so far. It's a lot of fun. And it's the the last ones we've done have just been a blast. I know I'm like uh, a little biased, but I think now is a really good time to join Arbitrary Plus because it's the winter months. Yes. And a lot of people feel, you know, this the, uh, the seasonal affective disorder and people get a little lonely. They do. And I find that in the winter months, I watch a lot more streamers than mm, I do okay. during the summer and spring. Well, hey, then join us. Uh, there's one more option you can do if you want to join us and interact with us a little bit more. That is the generous admission level. At that level, it's $20 a month, and it's just giving us a little bit extra to put out some cool stuff for you guys. Um, but you don't have to stop there. You can give us whatever you'd like. And I'm going <laughs> to shout a couple of you out. Lizzie Sullivan. Hey. Thank you very much for joining us at that $20 generous admission level. We cannot do it without Thanks, you. Thanks, Lizzie. David, spectacular donor. Yeah. Uh, David, you have our hearts, and uh, thank you so very much for joining at this level and giving us such intense support. Thank you so much, David. Colin, also, and Riyadh Shah, you guys are just the best. Thank you very much for Hell yeah. helping us. Uh, we got some cool things coming your way, just so you know. Hey, Riyadh was watching my, uh, my last game stream. And it was a great time having them there. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. we're going to see you at the next one too, I hope. That's right. The next game stream I do, I'm going to be playing more Strange Horticulture. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you'd like to ID plants and help people solve, uh, you know, rheumatism and stuff, uh, join that. <laughs> oh, that is right. Casey Clapp. Alex Croson. What another odyssey we've been on this week. Casey, I can finally say this with confidence. Thank you so much for giving me wood. <laughs> and with that, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. See you later. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 